All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Scott, you are on. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much. Scott Horton here. I'm at Pork Fest 2023 here in Lancaster, New Hampshire with, I don't know, what, two, 3,000 libertarians camping out, having the time of our lives. And you can see the whole galaxy from here. It's beautiful. If you didn't make it this year, show up next year. Um, and I'm having a great time, done some great speeches, and all of my guys at the Institute have done a great job, Connor and Kyle and Keith, uh, giving great speeches and, and doing their part in this. And uh, so today I finished up my speech on um, essentially summing up the book I'm working on, Provoked, How America Started the New Cold War with Russia and the Catastrophe in Ukraine. And in the audience, surprisingly to me, it turns out was Dana Rohrabacher, former congressman from Southern California. And so we got to meet briefly after the speech. And it turns out, Dana, you said you liked it, huh? I was surprised, dramatically surprised, because I was prepared not to like what you had to say. Uh huh. But you know what? At least 80%, I, uh, I agreed, uh, almost all of it, and 90%. I agreed adamantly with that 10% uh, more. So you, uh, you, you're an A-plus student, for, as far as I'm concerned. Well, all right. Well, great. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. So the form of the speech, of course, you know, I don't really give speeches. I give lectures. Right. Right. And so essentially it was um, just the history of from H.W. Bush through Clinton, W. Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden of what they had done, especially through NATO expansion, but through the color-coded revolutions and, and coup d'etats and other uh, policies and how they had provoked Russia and, and helped provoke this war. And this is something I know that you've been speaking out. I, I can't remember. I, I got to admit, Dana, what you were saying back during the Orange Revolution and such, but I know that uh, when the war broke out in the Donbass that you had things to say about that in the Congress at the time, right? About what was going on there? Well, I, uh, let's put it this way. I thought I, w I went there during that time period and I went down to, uh, and I was known as the, uh, ultimate anti-communist in, <laughs> in the West Wing of the White House. And, uh, I think I had an impact because, uh, I was able to see that we're talking about people and bureaucracies and, uh, it's a lot of the same things that, uh, uh, well, whatever whatever question you were answering, asking me, yeah, I had a lot of direct involvement in it. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, hell, you want to go back to the 1980s when you and Sylvester Stallone went over there to save the day from the commies? <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, did I? What, well, Rambo 3, that was, Operation Cyclone was a joke there. Well. Ghost Wars and all that. Well, all I can say is that up until... Ronald Reagan ended the Cold War, and I believe Ronald Reagan did end the Cold War. It was uh, whatever happened, whatever whatever was going on, we could we had to look at the Soviet Union as our enemy, and I felt very comfortable in making sure 
that whenever there was a, a move that would expand the power of the Soviet Union anywhere, through allies or through uh, assassinations or taking over countries or whatever, I would uh, be in favor of the United States stopping. But we have to take a look, and I was involved in a lot of that in my life, as you know. But we, uh, when Reagan ended his term, he made a deal with the Soviets. This deal should have been the basis for a free and peaceful world, and it was almost that way. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was, was called a warmonger for all the things that we were doing to try to stop the spread of communism. But that was only when it was communist, when you had a communist domination of Russia and anything that expanded that power was a threat to us because that was their goal. But with Reagan and what he did, he cut the deal about pulling, if the Russians would pull back all of their forces out of Eastern Europe, we would respect that and uh, We'd look at, look at that as a, as, as, a, as a new era, and uh, we didn't. The bottom line is, obviously, people didn't understand that when the Russians were, were willing to pull their troops out of that area, mm -hmm. that huge chunk of the world, uh, that that wasn't an historic move. I recognize it. Ronald Reagan recognized it. But the, uh, I, don't, I don't want to be too hard on the bushes, but uh, a lot of people in the Republican Party, they the uh, more moderate wing of the Republican Party, uh, they never were thinking right about the, the Cold War anyway. Mm -hmm. And so uh, anyway, uh, I, I listened to your speech today and I thought you were right on target. And uh, Reagan set, laid the foundation for peace in the world. And then they broke, they, meaning the people running our government after Reagan left, broke that deal. And that has put us a lot closer to Mass, mass annihilation than anything that's happened in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. So there's a scholar named, I believe it's M.E. Surratt, who wrote this book, Not One Inch, and she talks at length about um, the vast collection of foreign policy scholars and, and retired military men and diplomats and others who gathered together to oppose NATO expansion in the 1990s. And, there's this joint letter that was put together by Susan Eisenhower, Ike Eisenhower's granddaughter, that they all signed, and it ran in the L.A. Times and all this. But Surratt writes that the ship had already sailed three years previously. In 1994, all the decisions had been made that we are doing this. By the time they came out to complain about it in 97, it was too late, and that was sort of one last shot at it. Once they passed the, the original round of NATO expansion, kind of hardly anybody even complained when Bush added nine more countries, W. Bush, that is. Yeah. Um, it sort of was like, well, that's just the way it is now, and the Russians are, are just going to have to take it. But but it can you take just, us back it, to the 90s? It, it wasn't just a military expansion. We were treating Russia like the enemy still. What do you mean by I, that? I'll, I'll give you an example. I was the chairman of the Space Subcommittee in the House of Representatives of the Science Committee. The Science Committee then... I was the chairman of the subcommittee that oversees our space program. And I'm very proud of uh, the legislation that I wrote on uh, the Commercial Space Act of 2004, which was what I wrote and uh, made Elon Musk a lot of money, but it also uh, uh, created a lot of good business uh, opportunities for Americans. But uh, I'll tell you that uh, 
one of the things that I, I did was that, but I was also the guy who insisted that if we're going to have a space program, if we're going to have a, 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 a space station, now this is, remember, this is after the shuttles had gone down and everything like that, we, we should be partners with this new friend of ours, and Russia. Why not let Russia be a partner with us? And I took a lot of heat for that. But I, and I, but I stood up and, and we got it through. And so the Russians did participate and have been participating in the space. Had we not done that, when, uh, when we quit, when our shells went down and we couldn't get our people up there and everything, they, the Russians ended up transporting our people as well as their own people up to the space station. They didn't have to do that. They would have kept thinking of us as their enemies. They proved themselves that they, they could treat us in a way that wasn't as an enemy. Uh, but they could have taken over the space station. We wouldn't have had anything to do about it. And I thought that was a really a, a positive sign. And that's why I, I went to Russia a couple times uh, during that time period. And uh, uh, But I guess... Uh, that's not what other people had in mind. They, uh, I don't. I think. I think the money end of it is true. That a lot of people make money off a cold war with Russia. I'm not sure if that's the motive that's going on, but uh, certainly it's uh, something stupid going on. I'll tell you that much. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, speaking of all the heat that you got, I mean, it seems like there have been certain congressmen and senators who sort of made it their project to really know a lot about Russia. Uh, Bill Bradley, who ran against Al Gore for the nomination in 2000, is mm -hmm. another one. Senator Bradley, and was, was at least somewhat expert on Russia. And it seems like people like yourself and him that essentially the difference is that the others really don't know anything about it, That's right. and so they can sort of it's easy to fill in their narrative, which is demonization and all that. Whereas you guys are like, well, geez, I don't know, compared to what we had before and compared to what could come next and compared to them helping us with the space station and all of this context, it really changes things in a way. Well, but that, it started with Reagan. Mm -hmm. Reagan was, and Reagan, I wrote his speeches and they'd go, as a warmonger, warmonger. No, in the end, <laughs> Reagan set up the world for peace. And then uh, they didn't follow through, and they ended up breaking the deals. And this is what happened in Ukraine, uh, where we ended up uh, overthrowing the government of an elected of an elected president of Ukraine, Yanukovych. And that was, I think, it was Hillary was in charge at that time. Of that she operation. was gone. Kerry was there, but Newland was really running the thing, of course. Well, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, if you heard the, the uh, if you heard the uh, sure. recording with. Hillary and Newland? Or it's, it's Newland and Jeffrey Pyatt, the ambassador to Ukraine on the phone. So Hillary was out. She she did the first term only was gone by January 13. Which is good for her because, boy, just, you know. And it's funny because I'm actually glad you bring that up because in all the different stories of the history of the coup of 14, you don't hear very much about Kerry. The chain of command seems to go Vice President Biden to Victoria Newland to you know, whichever yeah. you know, groups are working behind the scenes from the NSC or the CIA and NED and the rest. Well, you just had people who were just... I'm not saying he's innocent. I'm just saying we don't hear much about him. I don't know. All I know is that you had some people who couldn't get over that the Cold War was should have been over yeah. and would have been over. And see, what it was is, again, it's a fault. did the government of Russia 
did they follow the principles of Marx and Lenin? Were they communists? Did they have this idea that they were going to dominate the world? No, they gave that up. Yeah. They, well, Dana, so I mean, they're going to say, yeah, but you're just naive because Putin may not be Stalin, but he's still Putin and he's still an absolute monster and a terror and aggressor. And if we don't stop him now and thwart him now, the next thing you know, he's going to be rolling into the Baltics. He's going to be rolling into Poland and Berlin after that. Well, I, I actually met Putin a couple times and uh, I remember <clears throat> he, uh, uh, see, I, do you know who Nestor Machno was? No. Who knows Nestor, who Nestor Machno was? Nobody is. Here you are talking about Ukraine, and you don't know who Nestor Machno was. Well, we're and you're libertarian. Nestor Machno was. Guys, make a note. This, you got you to figure it out. Nestor Machno was an anarchist leader in Ukraine uh, during World War One, and Nestor Machno actually controlled Machno's legions controlled about uh, what a third or. or Source, maybe a fourth of Ukraine, and uh, they, they, his troops put up signs all over the place that said, you are free to do anything you want except form a government. So, and Nestor Macno, of course, became one of my heroes, and I had a big picture of Nestor Macno on the wall. That's cool. And, uh, but what happened is uh, the young political leaders uh, came to visit uh, uh, Washington from uh, Russia, and uh, and then and they had to come and see me for whatever reason, and uh, so they came in to see me, and uh, I have a picture of Nestor Makhno on my wall. Mm -hmm. So these Russian kids, they knew who Nestor Makhno was, and so anyway, what happened is I I, I had a long talk with them, and I told them because I had led a. An, a Reagan had put me in charge of a, of a delegation of young political leaders from the United States. And I went there with them to Russia. And, uh, but anyway, I got up to this group of Russians and I said to them, does anybody here want to play some American style football? And these are some big lugs there and, and there's Putin's there too. I didn't know who Putin was at the time. And I, I said, yeah, we'll play football with you, okay? So I said, okay, beat me, meet me down at the spot at the, at the uh, mall and tomorrow. And I had some of the hardest core anti-communist, anti-Soviet guys in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the whole world on my team. And I invited them all. And we had a game in which they came in and we, we didn't play. We divided them up a little this bit. This is what year? In 19... Ooh, let's see. What year was it? It must have been when? Um, must have been eighty ninety something. Must have been ninety three or four, I think. Okay. Well, Reagan's still there. It's... No, no, Reagan's not. Oh, this is H. W. Bush era. I guess. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm not sure. It is my memory again. That's fine. <laughs> I'm the same way. Okay, but anyway, so we um, after we played American style football. Uh, and I said, hey, let's all go up there to that pub. It's the Irish Times in Washington. It's a nice pub. Let's all go up and have a have some beer or something. And so he had three, 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 three Russians and the rest of us went up there. And so anyway, I didn't know who Putin was at that time. I had no idea who Putin was. And uh, so anyway, what happens is uh, we start a discussion and I'm sitting at the table with Putin and I'm saying, 
Well, because, you know, when you lost the Cold War, that's when things started improving, blah, blah, blah. Lost the Cold War. We didn't lose the Cold War. Oh, yeah, you did lose the Cold War. Don't tell me we didn't. We won, and you lost. And it, no, we didn't lose the Cold War. We All the reforms we've had since had because of what we wanted to do. And I said, no, no, you lost. We won. And so finally, we decided we'd, we'd settle this the way Americans said. I said, we're going to settle this way Americans said. So I put my arm on the table and got it ready to re arm wrestle him, right? Uh -huh. And he put me down in a millisecond. Bam! I was down. And uh, so uh, this friend of mine, do you know who Jack Wheeler is? Uh, the should, name sounds familiar. You should know a writer. He, you should know he's, no. he's the, he was the ultimate cold warrior. Okay. okay. And he, uh, I went, to, I did a lot of things to defeat the Soviet Union during the Cold War with him. And, uh, but anyway, he uh, comes up to me, whispers in my ear and says, let me take him on, Dave, let me take him on. So Wheeler gets down, and I know Wheeler's stronger than I am because he, he helped me unload 120 millimeter rockets to shoot at Russians in Afghanistan uh, at the Battle of Jalalabad, I might add. So anyway, Bin Laden was there. Sorry, <laughs> anyway, Wheeler gets him in this uh, in this arm lock, and they start going down, and and Putin is putting my friend Jack down. His arm's going down, and Jack turns around and says, "When should I start, Dana?" I said, "Get him now!" And he, Wheeler puts him to bam, and all of a sudden Putin jumps up and starts screaming at my friend, uh, "CIA, CIA, CIA!" And my friend Jack comes up to him and punches him in the, in the chest, nose to nose, and goes, KGB, KGB. And uh, then they both sat down, started drinking, and we had a wonderful rest of the day. Wow, that's great. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if that answered any of your It questions. didn't, but I love the story. I'm glad. <laughs> so, the only question, though, was, um, yeah, but now he's a psychopath and he's going to take over the world, like that time that Saddam Hussein almost did if we didn't stop him, you know? I don't, you know what? I think that we had a, a reason to worry that, that when a communist regime was taking power and, uh, and thus were utilizing their, their new authority or their authority to hurt us, to hurt the United States, to hurt cause of freedom, and which they saw capitalism and freedom as being their enemy. Well, that's what the communists did, but in terms of the Arab threat, and it wasn't like Arab threat, Muslim threat, I didn't see it that way. We have Muslim friends, and Muslim, uh, but communist friends, I, uh, they aren't real communists if they, they want to be friends of the United States at that time. But real Muslims could be friends of the United States. And Russians now without communism. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's the problem, is we, we are treating Russian people who probably don't like communism. In fact, their 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 opposition to communism is probably heavier than ours is because they lived through it mm -hmm. and how uh, horrible it was. So uh, anyway, uh, I, I I sort of changed my look. The Cold War was over. Ronald Reagan won and won it for us. Now we're having arm wrestling matches with people in the in the Irish pub and all the rest. But uh, it. Uh, a lot of people felt that I was uh, becoming pro-Russian or something. And I wasn't pro-Russian, I was just pro-peace and pro-get-along with 
these people, they're good people. Let's let's profit and benefit and have a good relationship. But that's uh, that's a big change from when I was writing the speeches for Ronald Reagan, and everybody knew, and everybody knew I was supporting the insurgency movements that we had against communist regimes. Well, I, I'm not apologizing for that. That was a good thing then. But once we had convinced the Russians to pull back and have this great sign to the world that we are now no longer going to be oppressing people with having our troops uh, in these countries and murdering people who who don't uh, are trying to oppose communism they have they changed their ways and so uh, anyway uh, I uh, changed my way when they changed their way and I felt that we should Try to work with them, like in the like in the space shuttle and the mm-hmm. space station. I don't know if you know, but in fact, right before the I won't say the war broke out because it had been going on for quite a long time, but right before the war got much worse, a little more than a year ago, they launched an American satellite on a Russian rocket powered by a Ukrainian motor, and they'd been they'd done the same thing October before that in 2021. And so this is the kind of cooperation that we ought to be able to go right back to. In fact, I believe that they at, at one point launched a, a rocket in the same sort of fashion in during I'm sure, the war. I'm, sure, I, I'm glad you used that excuse me, example because I probably was responsible for that. Well, good, thank you. Because I'm sure that probably happened when I was chairman of the space subcommittee, and I was pushing for trying to be cooperative with them for peaceful projects like great, this. Great. And uh, but we have. Uh, and I don't think it's an animus towards communism or tyranny or crookedness or whatever. I think that we've got problems with deep state, just like uh, the left wing and other people have tried to warn us that our country is not run by the Ronald Reagans, who were honestly anti-communist because they, they it was a threat to, to peace and security of the world and our own freedom. But Reagan and Dana Rohrbacher's in the world we weren't anti-Russian, we were, and we were for peace. And now you have these people who are causing the most problem with Russia. Who is Hillary is the one who sent those guys in to, to overthrow the government of Yanukovych in Ukraine, and they did it knowing that that, was, that, that would be seen as, as, a, as, as a slap in the face of communism, etc. Hang on just one second for me. You guys know that I consider the Defend the Guard movement, led by the combat vets at BringOurTroopsHome.us and DefendTheGuard.us, to be the most important thing happening in American politics today. Simply put, this law would nullify the empire by preventing the state governors from handing their National Guard troops over to the president for foreign combat without an official declaration of war from the Congress. We've made great progress getting it out of committee and even past the state senate in Arizona. Help support Bring Our Troops Home and Defend the Guard at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. And their director of field operations, Diego Rivera, teaches a political leadership class that is the most effective training like it anywhere. He's still a soldier, only now his mission is peace. So heads up all you anti-war vets, we've got a mission for you. Find out all about their upcoming training sessions and help support at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. Hey, y'all, Scott Horton here for the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director. Then we've got Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anzalone, Keith Knight, Lori Calhoun, 
Jim Bovard, Connor Freeman, Will Porter, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Salmons on our staff, writing and podcasting. And we've also got a ton of other great writers, too, like Walter Block, Richard Booth, Boss Spleet, Kim Robinson, and William Van Wagenen. We've published eight books so far, including my latest, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and Keith Knight's new Voluntarist Handbook. And we've got quite a few more great ones coming soon. Check out libertarianinstitute.org slash books. It's a whole new era. We libertarians don't have the power, but we do have enough influence to try to lead the left and the right to make things right. Join us at libertarianinstitute.org. So look, after Iraq War I, famously, uh, Scooter Libby and Paul Wolfowitz and uh, Zalmay Khalilzad wrote up this defense plan and guidance, otherwise known as the Wolfowitz Doctrine. This is America has to military dominate the entirety of the planet and allow no near-peer competitor ever again. And we'll attack them first. We'll, we'll do anything we can to disrupt them because that is the only way to keep the peace is for America, a.k.a goodness yeah. to hold crisis down and that so in other words when we extend what a cynic might call American hegemony and and protection of American interests into other spheres they say no we're only protecting the liberal rules-based international order of law and friendship and agreed upon agreements whereby the rules everybody's supposed to act and anybody who's opposing that, they're the ones who are aggressing against the world order. So in, in, in other words, this world order is this objective thing that America is the steward and guardian of rather than in any sense an empire exploiting and taking advantage and pushing their power into others' spheres of influence. It's very hard to make these two sides even understand each other's kind of point of view of the matter, never mind the other side, from Russia's side, looking at this coming toward them. So, well, so what I do agree, you think about I agree, all that? I agree with that that's the analysis of what it's like and what's going on. But what I would suggest is that uh, the Russians uh, should never have been, once, once they pulled their troops out of Eastern Europe, we should have changed our whole way of looking at them. But what you're saying is they kept the same way and same type of strategy, global strategy, even though the Russians had not proven themselves to want peace enough to pull all their troops out of Eastern Europe, for God's sakes. Right. And they, they proved it. And then we, uh, and so I, uh, and why didn't we do that? Because I think that, uh, and I swear I agree with a lot of radical libertarians and everything, I think we've got a deep state. And it's not just that they're so idealistic, they're protecting our country. No, I think there's a lot of profit being made from uh, a lot of people who are profiting off a bad relationship, not a bad relationship, a, a threat, a global threat still coming from Russia. Yeah. Listen, as long as I have you here, i got to ask you about this. You've been out front on legalizing pot for, what, 30 years? More? 40, 50 years? Actually, Eric Garris told me, 50 years ago he met you, 1971, so more than 50 years ago, mm. he met you at uh, an organization, a rally, uh, working to try to legalize pot in California. So I know you're not exactly a typical Republican. You mentioned your affinity for anarchism and libertarianism, I know, especially in your past there. But can you talk about, because so many people think of pot as such a trivial issue because it truly is a trivial issue, and yet 
can you talk about why you think it's so important? Because it's certainly well, it's you're treated by the law as nothing trivial at all. It's a freedom issue. Hmm. It's freedom. That's all. It's, uh, I uh, I will have to say that uh, I, at some point in my life I may have smoked some marijuana, and admittedly, uh, but uh, that wasn't. Even if I had never smoked marijuana at all, I still would not believe that it was a good idea to put people in jail for doing something that only affects their own body. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I was in favor of, uh, I was, uh, I did uh, support that and I was uh, very successful. I was more successful than I ever thought I would be in that I passed a really important uh, piece of, of, of legal mandate uh, uh, in law, and it's called the uh, Rohrbacher Farr Amendment, and it's still in power now, still been placed in the budgets and the, the treasury bills and everything, and what it is, it says that the federal government can't spend any money uh, in its budget, no federal money can be used to by the federal government to supersede a state law on the medical use of marijuana. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, that I barely got that through, but it got through and it's still in, in play. And uh, no, but that's it's a freedom issue. And uh, yeah, I smoked dope a little bit when I was uh, and I was disillusioned. I got back from Vietnam. I was uh, worked with uh, some anti-communist programs in Vietnam for several months uh, in 1967, and uh, I was a little bit uh, demoralized. And uh, I knew we're, I knew we would lose, and I saw a lot of bloodshed. And what a horror story. And so uh, that's when I sort of retreated to a wild-ass lifestyle. Fair enough. Well, uh, and you weren't alone for that era for sure. So, I mean, you want to tell us a little bit more about what you were doing in Vietnam and what happened there? Well, I was, um, when I, when I, uh, I made a reputation for myself because I'd worked in Young Americans for Freedom and Youth for Reagan. And I went and saw Reagan and camped out in his back lawn one time and I had to talk to him. This and is when he's governor of California? No, this is when his first race for governor of California. Okay, way back. And, and so anyway, I went with him, I went to him and Nancy tried to kick, kick me out of his, it was, uh, I was there overnight camping in his back lawn and Nancy tried to kick me out and Reagan came running after me, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, if you can spend the night in my back lawn. I can certainly spend some time with you. And so, uh, anyway, uh, I saved Youth for Reagan and I got to be a real big reputation around the country. This guy Rohrbacher, he'll do anything, blah, blah, blah. And so, anyway, some friends of mine uh, who were working with the CIA in a package uh, and tried to. Anyway, I, uh, I was not an agent of the agency, but they sent me to Vietnam to see if I could uh, do certain things and uh, come back and talk about it. Which I did, yeah. But it was a mess. And this, you said this is in '67. Yeah. And can you tell us where you were and what it was you saw? I was in uh, well, uh, I was in Pleiku, which is a, uh, a base of operations that we went. I went up to Pleiku in order to uh, meet with Mountain Yard tribal leaders and see what what I what we could talk to them about. I was uh, given. Um, I was given a rank of major in the United States Air Force, uh, so I could, whenever I went in Vietnam, I would be treated like a senior officer. And uh, they, that was given to me by the agency. 
And uh, I did everything I could and uh, walked away uh, feeling that we were going to lose. And I saw a lot of bloodshed and it was uh, uh, horse mm -hmm. And it's saying that we, you saw that we were going to lose, meaning you saw a lack of support for the central government there or an enthusiasm for the insurgents? Not, there wasn't an enthusiasm for the insurgents, but I, but there was, uh, for example, uh, uh, how shall I put this? We, uh, our guys were all crooked. <laughs> our guys, and for example, I went to a, uh, to meet with a group of doctors at Vung Tau, which is a area there, in, sort of from Saigon, you go toward the ocean and there's a, a base there. And uh, I, some doctors were very upset, American doctors, and they had uh, uh, every bit of what they uh, were giving, and they were trying to start clinics that would win the hearts and minds of the people <coughs> to the American side or to the non-communist side. And what happened was uh, uh, they, they'd end up giving uh, medical supplies to these villages and immediately the South Vietnamese allies of us would go in and take all that those supplies and sell them to the North Vietnamese army. And so we were ending up we're ending up supplying and, and, and the, the, the bad guys and we convinced all the American people or all the Vietnamese people uh, Americans aren't going to win this. Because look at this, <laughs> and so we ended up, uh, as I say, we we're financing the other side, and then uh, I saw a lot of bloodshed in a couple of times, and uh, I just—it was awful. Yeah. And you know, they're making a—you know—they're they're making a profit off these guys who have, aren't going to be a big guy. I stopped by this one guy because he was a surfer, and he was had shot himself in the—he was in a jungle thing, and he. An American GI. Yeah, American GI, and they, uh, as they uh, uh, pulled him, they tried to cross a little stream, and he gave his rifle over, and they pulled him across, but the gun went off, and he it severed his spinal cord, and so he was, and I asked the doctor, said, well, if he lives, if he lives, we're, we don't know if he's going to be paralyzed from the waist down or the, or the uh, shoulders down, and uh, that was pretty hard on yeah. A young idealist going there, seeing that crap. Sure. And uh, I, uh, that, that's, and I came back and I said, we're going to lose this. Well, it sounds just like the war in Afghanistan, frankly. All the corruption and, and financing the enemy through the pro-civilian programs for the side we're trying to support and all well, of that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The, uh, I mean, I was very close to what happened in Afghanistan because I was in Afghanistan as well during uh, the In fight. the 80s, you mean? Well, uh, or in the in the W. Bush years, I um, I will tell you that I uh, was at the Battle of Jalalabad and other places uh, with that uh, at the Battle, of, and I helped uh, smuggle in the 120 millimeter rockets that pulverized the Soviet forces at the Battle of Jalalabad. Yeah, and that was uh, uh, another thing I did. And I, I, I well, what about America's Afghan War from? 2001 through 21. Well, you know, I I, I understand, and I think Trump's wrong in that he uh, uh, and everybody's saying that Biden 
uh, ends, ended up in this horrible retreat from Afghanistan. How horrible it was, you know, we, we let these guys, uh, uh, let them uh, off the, you know, we didn't do it right. You know, we didn't ret retreat in the right kind of way. Well, I'm sorry, but why were we retreating in the first place? And I will tell you, and I, you probably don't know, because unless you know the characters, we had provided the wrong side, the wrong people, with the weapons and the and support they needed to defeat. What we were doing is we supported radical Islamists who were friends of Pakistan. There were all sorts of other people who were really good human beings. Uh, uh, Zaire Shah, I don't know if you know Zaire Shah. Zaire Shah was the king of Afghanistan. He was there. You had Commander Massoud and others when he, when he was alive, and they murdered him. And we, there were a lot of people like that, but we ended up giving the lion's share of our stuff to people who should not have had it, who were radical Islamists. And but the Pashtuns are still the plurality of the country, right? So if you just give all the power to the Tajiks, it's not going to work. I mean, that's what they were mostly that, trying to do for 20 years, wasn't it? You know, that's a you, you showed your, your your really your educated. Uh, well, I gave you my book. Afghanistan book. Most people, most people don't. Know, I did write a book. About most it. people have no <laughs> idea about the difference between Tajiks and <coughs> yeah. Pashtuns, and but uh, but the Pashtuns. I'm sorry. Yeah, they were a lot of Pashtuns who were just radicals. And we should not have been giving weapon systems to them if the Tajiks were were friends. Okay, but in, wait, wait. So back to Trump and Biden, though. Okay. After 20 years of Bush and Obama surging and surging and failing and failing to figure out how to pacify the Pashtun population, and Trump says it's time to bail out of here. Biden agrees. He obviously flubbed the withdrawal. But you're saying that we should have stuck it out another decade? Or? No. Well, I'm saying that, or they that, should have gone back in time and back uh, to different cast no, of characters. No, no I, I, <laughs> we should have we should have had a different policy during uh, that time uh, when uh, Trump was president. We could have we could have averted that by supporting uh, the good guys. There are a lot of good guys. Like you, I know you you, you look at them just as the ethnic background, but there's more than just the sure, ethnic group. Sure, you've got. You got a bunch of good guys, and we were supporting bad guys. Because well, but I mean, what good weren't... guys are you talking about? Because you got General Dostum, who was the yeah. Secretary of Defense, Defense Minister, and yeah. then Vice President, yeah. and good friend of mine. Okay, but he's also a murderer and a. Hey, you do. You know anybody in the military that has been in a war that has not well, been I mean, called a murderer? I mean, in 2017, he had to flee to Turkey for a while because he had his men hold a guy down and rape him up the with an AK-47. Mm -hmm. So then he? he fled to Turkey for a little while, and yeah. then he came back and became defense minister again. I think. Well, you it see, was. the trouble about making your decisions based on on who's raping people uh, up the ass yeah, with an AK-47. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's because <laughs> you don't know what the guy who. What? Well, tell me about the guy who got raped. Do you know I'm, no. I'm sure he wasn't a very good dude. They must have got him out of uh, right. Obama's Bagram dungeon, you know. Yeah, for all you know, the guy was uh, had himself blown up a bunch of civilians. Could be. Not could be, probably, because General Dostum was a good I guy. Mean, I mean, to tell you the truth, if I remember right, it was just a competing member of parliament who had been talking shit about him was all it was. Oh, well, that's but, that, that could happen. Who knows? I, I look, don't know. You know, Ghani and Abdullah... You know, we're both trying to kill each other. 
as they're running for president. Neither of them would concede when the other one won. And they did that two elections in a row. And and in fact, the election before that, Karzai had just told everybody, vote for me or we're going to kill you. And they just stuffed the ballots and the whole thing was a goddamn hoax. That's 2009 and in 14. And then when they did it again, in, whether it was, I think, 17 or, or, or late 16 when they did the election. And somebody's you know throwing bombs at ghani and it was like abdullah's guy doing it yeah, well, like matt bush and gore throwing grenades at each yeah. other wait lean forward lean okay. forward here right now i would not be uh, supportive of some of the policies that i was supporting before because during the cold war i felt that we needed to thwart the yeah. communist expansion of, in the world and if you got another in a country that's taken over by a communist regime, it's going to eventually put us at risk, at heavier risk. And so, um, you know, at it takes a while to get out of that mindset. And uh, uh, especially uh, uh, radical Islam, uh, how are we going to, a lot of people thought we were going to deal with radical Islam the way we uh, deal with communism. But I'm not sure exactly how you do you should have left it up to them, for one thing. Well, I'll be interested. Maybe we could talk again after you read enough already. Because I'll be interested in what you think about the way I present the Sunni-Shia wars during all this time and how America keeps switching sides back and forth again. Of which, which, which area? Well, the Sunni-Shia wars, essentially Saudi, you know, Riyadh versus Tehran, with America mostly on Riyadh's side, and yet continuing to benefit the Iranian side every time they tried to thwart them, right? Bush Bush thought that by invading Iraq, he was going to stick it in the Ayatollah's eye. Instead, he handed him Baghdad. So then Obama thought he'd blow up Assad, and that would, get, that would show the Ayatollah. And all that happened was Assad became more dependent on Iran and Hezbollah than ever before. So then he said, oh, yeah, I'll show you. I'll go and I'll bomb those Houthis down in Yemen, who just became more dependent and closer to Iran than ever before, and now Iran is more powerful in the region because of three major operations by America in the last 20 years to try to screw them over. Well, And I know that you uh, prefer the Saudis to the Iranians in this one, right? I probably do, yeah. Yeah. I do. Uh, and I, But I I don't think it's as clear-cut, and I I try not to get involved in, in that war. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a, in favor of a us being uh, the policemen of the world, and that's that. And uh, But that's whether or not the good guys or bad guys are winning is sort of irrelevant to me or, or dominating the scene. I just don't think that we should be deeply involved in all that now. Now that the Soviet Union is no longer threatening us, yeah. and I don't think they are threatening us. So. Yeah. Well, sure got agreement from all of us on that. Um, and, you know, there's a, a certain brand of, of guys, a, a, maybe a pretty small cohort of guys who I think came with you, I don't know, all exactly at the same time, but certainly Scott McConnell and Pat Buchanan and Jude Waniski and a lot of these guys who had been ardent cold warriors yeah. said, well, that's over with. And, it, you know, yeah. even maybe when Gorbachev was still in power, but the Cold War was over, Reagan and Gorbachev were palling around eating pizza together yeah, or whatever. So right. we can abolish NATO and bring the whole thing home and we don't have to do this at all anymore. But that didn't really take. The rest of the no, government just kept going. No, because uh, it wasn't Ronald Reagan who was in charge. That's uh, right. He was, was done by then. It was uh, the other wing of the Republican Party, the, 
the Bushies, and yeah. the Bushies are taught different than the Reaganites. Let me ask you this, um, now that you're no longer in Congress, are you doing anything to help educate people about America's relationship with Russia in this time? Well, I've, I've taken a lot of hits. I've taken a lot Certainly. of hits on it, just simply because I think that we should be uh, trying to work with Russia where we can. It's, there's a lot of mutual beneficial things we could be doing with the Russians. Yeah. And uh, we have, uh, anyway, like you outlined today, we've decided to thwart them uh, of whatever they really want to do. And But but anyway, uh, so your question is, is what... Yeah, what are you up to now? What am I up to now? I'm, uh, I'm, I've am i written a book about my adventures starting <laughs> old back from when I was a kid, but also uh, uh, I call it Fighting for Freedom and Having Fun is the title. Okay, great. And it's and it's basically uh, um, all of the, a lot of the things we've been talking about tonight, a lot of the personalities that we're talking about tonight, and I've been blessed with getting to know and having been close to Ronald Reagan, and uh, but also I know them all. <laughs> and they all know Dana, so. That's cool. Well, from the Ron Paulians, I think I can speak for most of us, it's been great to talk to you tonight. Thank you so much for coming to my speech. It's been great to make your acquaintance, and I've well, really appreciated yeah. this great conversation. I'm Dana. looking forward to working with you on, on getting, you have such, I was expecting to disagree with you a lot, but I don't disagree with you a lot. I think I probably disagree with you heavily, maybe 10%. But I'll that, take it. Yeah, I'll take it. That's so. it because I think Well, the book's in progress now, so I'll be very happy to have uh, your endorsement right at the top in Dan it. Ellsberg's spot because yeah. unfortunately he had to pass on without us there. Sure. Okay. Well, great. Listen, thank you so much again for doing the show, Dan. Appreciate it. Okay. All right, you guys from Porkfest, that's Dana Rohrbacher. Thanks. Thank you. The Scott Horton show, Anti-War Radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.